Welcome to B4, and today I'm joined by four of our Professional Services Hub members who are Nicola Warbank. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you very much. And we have Jonathan Walton from Whitley Stimson. Good day to you. Will Axtell from Pennington's Manchester Cooper. Hi Richard, good afternoon everybody. Hi, and David Willett from Grant Thornton. Hello everyone. So Nicola, if you could just give us a, a brief intro about you and about what you're going to be talking about with us today. Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm Nicola Warbank from Julian Taylor Solicitors and we're a local well-established niche employment law practice. We have three partners, all with lots of experience advising large corporations and SMEs on a whole range of employment law issues. The practice has been going for over 15 years and we're based out of offices in Western on the Green near Vista. So for those of you uh, who've visited the B4 offices, just 30 seconds down the road from there. Although our clients are local and further afield with many in both Oxford and London and beyond. Clients don't really fall into one category. We act for businesses across a range of sectors. So retail, travel, professional services, software, education and charities to name a few. And the work we do is also hugely varied. Uh, the world of work throws up all sorts of issues, uh, perhaps more so uh, in the pandemic than, than ever. Um, and we're really here to work with our clients to help them to navigate these issues. Um, so today, yeah, the, the brief really was to talk about how we're here for the business community and the sorts of things that we've been doing and continue to do in the current challenging circumstances. So, uh, yeah, we're going to think about the sorts of issues that employers have had. All sorts of questions have cropped up. Can we afford to keep our staff? Is there enough work for them? Do we need to furlough them? What processes do we need to follow? And so I'm going to be talking about a few of the ways that we've been helping and supporting employers in the business community during this tricky time. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Nicola. Jonathan. Oh, hi, my name is Jonathan Walton. I'm a director at Whitley Stimson. Uh, we have offices, four offices actually, in uh, Banbury, Whitney, uh, Vista and High Wycombe. Uh, we're a nine director firm, um, turn over about six million, and we have about 85 employees that are all, all, all based in those offices usually. And about 97% of them are currently working from home. Um, so as, as, as a firm, we're in the forefront of basically the trusted advisor for clients. They, they come to us for all sorts of issues. Um, accounting and 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 and, and tax and, and cash flow and and survival as well. So there's a bit more to us than just trying to help people through their um, traditional chartered accountancy route. Uh, today I'm going to talk predominantly about the cash flow management, um, also about dealing with HMRC in this particular period and, and experiences that we've had with that. Um, but also, uh, and I'm going to finish off by basically saying how we can help you. Excellent. Thank you, Jonathan. Over to you, Will. Thanks, Richard. Hello, everybody. Yes, my name is Will Axtell. I'm a corporate partner at uh, Pennington Manchester Cooper. Uh, we're based on the Oxford Business Park. Uh, we've got six UK offices, uh, London, Cambridge, etc., and several overseas offices. So we're in Paris, Madrid, Singapore, and a few other locations. And by, by full service, I mean we act for both individual clients, so sort of on family matters, for example, but also for companies and other institutions like schools and universities. And we act on a, a broad range of uh, legal specialisms, so real estate, intellectual property, employment, etc., across many sort of different business sectors, so life sciences, technology, education. 
so we're, we're pretty much a broad church i mean my, my own area of expertise is corporate law so i help uh, growth companies access sort of equity funding i also help clients buy and sell companies so i'm going to talk a little bit today about what i'm seeing in the m a markets how we're seeing growth companies and spin outs access some of the help from the government and then lastly i'm going to talk a little bit about sort of the technology we're seeing to, and utilizing to to help clients in these sort of unusual times brilliant excellent we'll look forward to hearing from you later and finally david yeah thank you so my name is david i'm a director at Grant thornton Grant thornton's one of the world's largest accountancy firms we've got about four and a half thousand people in the uk um I'm present in, in well over 100 countries around the world. Um, we've, we pretty much support across all aspects of the finance agenda. So, you know, audit, tax, advisory, consultancy, um, supporting our clients as they grow, scale and, um, and diversify. So, so for my part, I'm going to, given, given there's such a broad church of areas where we've supported our clients over the last year, I thought I'd, I'd just spend a few minutes just kind of recapping a timeline of the year and the sort of things that our clients faced and, and how we helped them. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, great to have you all with us today. As Nicholas said, the, the brief really was how our professional services firms get to help um, businesses um, in, in the business community. And obviously, um, for all of you, it's been pretty well non-stop since lockdown. Uh, and you, know, you, you come up with a, with a new set of legislation or rules and regulations that you have to disseminate to your clients. And lo and behold, within 24 hours, it's all changed. So I'm sure that's been very much the order of the day for all of you. So well done for keeping on top of everything and uh, rather you than me. But um, thank you for outlining your, your areas of, of, that you can be focusing on. We'd like to have a, a recap at the end where we can have a general conversation on some of the topics raised and maybe find out how you're all coping with, I think Jonathan referenced 97% of his team uh, working from home. So how, how these sorts of things are in, in, impacting on you as a business, but uh, let's kick off with with Nicola uh, from Julian Taylor Sisters and your and your and your um, brief. Thank you, Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, so I don't think it will come as a surprise to anybody to hear that uh, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, helping people keep on top of the rapidly changing furlough rules. Uh, the government schemes for supporting payment of employee wages. It's been really important for employers who've needed to rely on this lifeline to understand what they need to have in place to access the furlough scheme and what it is that they can claim for. Accountants and payroll providers have also been instrumental in supporting businesses on this, but alongside our fellow professionals, we've played a role in ensuring our clients are up to speed with the rules and have the correct arrangements in place with their staff. So for example, anyone placed on furlough should have a furlough agreement mapping out how their contract is varied for the duration of their absence. So that's something that we've commonly been involved with. And there've also been legal issues to navigate, like whether staff could take holiday during furlough and what happens to furlough during notice if you opt to make somebody redundant whilst they're on furlough. So we've been looking at those sorts of queries and you know, as everybody's seen from the news there's often been sort of last minute releases of rules and that sort of thing so it's keeping on top of those and updating our clients and we've been sending out free email alerts to clients and others on our mailing list so that people can stay up to speed 
I think it's true to say that there's a lot of sort of inaccurate or perhaps outdated information that's available online for, for people who are sort of Googling. So we've been making sure that people have the right information when they need it. Also been uh, something we always do, but I think it's been even more important now, given the range and novelty of the issues that have been cropping up, is acting as a sort of helpline really to, to HR departments and business owners on a day-to-day -day basis whether it's questions about dealing with staff who are self-isolating, uh, issues thrown up by the, the real surge in homeworking, how to commence a redundancy programme or how to tra tackle tricky grievances or data subject access requests, we're here to assist and are at the end of the phone and really happy for people to contact us and to, for us to work with them in, in whatever way suits them. Just to give some examples on the sorts of things that we've been doing, we've advised a large retailer on their furlough processes and claims. We've advised a UK subsidiary of an international design business on their redundancies across their UK business, including how to select fairly between staff, the consultation process that is needed, and also ensuring that they understand the trigger points for collective consultation, because in certain circumstances, if you're making, uh, if you're proposing to dismiss 20 or more individuals at one establishment in a period of 90 days, then not only do you need to consult individually with the individuals, but also with employee reps. So helping people with that. And we've also advised organisations like a, a, a charity on uh, disciplinary proceedings, complicated by the fact that everybody's at a distance and how you manage that process where it becomes protracted due to the virus. Another thing we've been looking at is documentation, supporting employers with contracts, furlough agreements, bonus schemes, and employment policies. Things like a really good, clear homeworking policy suddenly rose right up the agenda. So that's something we've supported clients with, particularly looking at things like health and safety implications of working at home. And also things like confidentiality and data protection. So ensuring that you're staying on the right side of the GDPR rules and also keeping adequate controls of valuable confidential commercial information, which is suddenly being accessed by all your staff at home in a whole range of locations that people might not have expected. And another thing that's worth noting is that back in April 2020, the rules on what needs to be included in new employment contracts that you're issuing to staff uh, were updated and additional details such as the benefits that you provide and details of any paid leave that you might offer need to be included in contracts for new recruits and whilst lots of employers ticked that box at the time clearly many were understandably rather distracted by the events that were going on in April and we're still seeing a number of contracts that haven't yet been revised and so aren't quite ticking the boxes at the moment so we can bring employers up to speed with that. And then just the final thing that I wanted to talk about is the support we can give for individuals too. So at Julian Taylor's, we act for many businesses, as I've said, but we also act on the other side of the table and represent employees who need advice on their rights. For example, if they consider that they've been unfairly treated. And at the moment, you know, everybody knows someone, sadly, who's been made redundant in recent months or faces that risk now. And we support individuals by helping them to understand their entitlements and frequently advise on potential claims or maybe settlement agreements. A settlement agreement is a contract or a deal between an employer and a departing employee where in return for an enhanced 
payment, the employee waives their claims against their employer and individuals need advice on those agreements for them to be binding and we can provide that. Employers who are enhancing redundancy payments and are wanting settlement agreements may want to refer their employees to an independent advisor to be able to go and get that advice and we can provide that advice. So employers should keep us in mind if they need to refer their staff on to someone who's needing settlement agreement advice. I think that's probably the main information that I wanted to cover today and also really just to encourage people to reach out to us if they have concerns and think that we can help with your people issues. That's it from me. Brilliant Nicola, so um, call to action and um, get in contact with you via the website. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. And just one question for me. I mean, one of the members was referencing risk risk registers the other day, and uh, how nobody had sort of included this sort of um, situation in risk registers, or even thought about this as a possible outcome. Have you been surprised by anybody that was actually quite specifically prepared for a situation like this? If I'm honest, no, not really. No. I, think this, <laughs> I think this took everybody by by surprise. Um, Obviously, there's general clauses which which cover certain things, but uh, nobody specifically had, had any any plans in place for for a pandemic. A bit. Uh, no, not really. I mean, sometimes employment contracts do include sort of layoff um, and short time working clauses, which enable employers to have some flexibility in in winding down people's hours or perhaps saying, you know, stay home for a while. But that wasn't the norm at all. Um, and I think that's a shift that will become the norm. And, and you know, when I'm drafting contracts now, that's going into in, into them all. As they say, going forward, people will be thinking about all sorts of um, yeah. places, aren't they? So it's going to make, make your job um, even more vital. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Uh, good to hear from you and we'll, we'll revisit you later. Jonathan, over to you. So to the world of accountancy and, and how are things going at Whitley Stimson? Um, it's been busy, as you said. Um, I mean, we, we were very busy really from the 19th of March. Um, that was before you know, the official announcement, um, but we pretty much sent our people home just before Boris told everyone they had to go home. Um, but it's been busy because, as, as I said earlier, we're, we're often the first port of call for, for clients when there's any kind of drama, let alone something that nobody had been really prepared for. Um, you know, I think we all know that some businesses have struggled for profitability in, in, in the past uh, six or seven months. And um, the old adage, of course, is cash is king. But if, if I just talk you through what financial statements barely, you know, look at when I speak to clients on a you know, annual and six monthly, three monthly basis, the focus has always been on the profit and loss account and the balance sheet. Uh, and in fact, small companies and medium sized companies are pretty much exempt from having to do cash flow statements or, or flow of fund statements as they used to be called and it's incredible how things have moved from just having a look at a profit and loss account review and to see how much money that we all think we're going to make um, it's become a very much a cash uh, a cash kind of reporting uh, environment um, i mean last year uk smes uh, were owed 34 billion in late payments uh, which is about thirty-five thousand pound each um, and that's before this this horrific thing turned up so um, you can see that people are very much struggling with their cash. Um, of course, many businesses have had low cash reserves, always been kind of fluctuating on their borrowing requirements as well, or unstable cash flows from seasonal things as well. So, you know, cash has become a lot more important. And so, my advice to companies has been, um, you know, develop a treasury plan, give it a give it a grand name. Um, and, and it's something I've 
I've come across in some of the big firms of accountants refer to them as treasury plans. But actually, if you begin to call it a treasury plan and you spread that word throughout your organization, it, it seems to give it a bit more kudos and just a bit of cash flow management. Um, and, you know, there's a various amount of steps that you need to, to look at for, for doing some sort of treasury plan or, or, or a grand, grand yes cash flow. Um, I think the first thing to do is to look at the framework, you know, establish a very robust framework for your supply chain risk management. Um, you know, we've had situations where clients have been very optimistic about the future just to be let down, in fact, by the people that can't provide the goods and the services. And so consequently, the knock on effect of that's been um, quite disastrous because to try and fight and win contracts in the first place, it's been difficult enough, but then to be let down. So I'd, my advice is to ensure that you understand the risk of some of your key trading partners. Um, speaking of your own finances, uh, dialogue is just the best thing you can have. I mean. Uh, if you can speak to your bank, speak to your customers, um, you, you, they're very kind, you know, they're very human. Uh, we've had situations where even for our own debt collection at our firm, you know, we've put little messages on the bottom of our statements and our FD is absolutely convinced that these types of human approach and human touch works. Focus on the cash conversion, not profitability. Um, I think that's very important. And just try and get everybody to think like the CFO across the organization, even in small firms um, where there are sort of seven or eight people, um, people are still asking questions about whether they should buy the microwave in the kitchen this time around. And, and just make sure everyone's aware that there are cash constraints on a business and that because no one really knows how long this is going to go on for, just to be prudent. Uh, Accountants are very prudent, it's the nature of our personalities. But I think to spread that through, through a whole organization is very, very key. Look at the variable costs. Um, you know, we've we've sat down with clients in the last several months actually and sat down and worked out which costs actually can we think about reducing, which costs can we cut completely? Look at the cost benefit analysis of those particular costs. Um, because some clients, you know, they have this habit of spending and they have these standing orders that go out or direct debits that go out and they don't really sit down and appreciate the value that some of those things bring back in. So it's not to say cut them, but just reviewing them is very, very sensible because sometimes it's very hard to do the, the, the fixed costs. One of the things you can do um, is look at your capital investment plans as well, because um, there's no reason why you shouldn't put those on hold. Um, but there's also no reason why you can't negotiate with existing finance providers on, on terms of repayment. If you're in retail uh, and various other things, I've just, uh, you know, I'm hopefully no one I know is watching this, but I've just bought myself a beautiful guitar. Um, and uh, first thing that leapt out to me on a you know, five and a half thousand pound guitar was interest-free credit. Um, and I thought, my word, that website hadn't ever offered me that before. You know, that particular supplier hadn't offered it. And I think it's something that they're thinking about doing to try and push their sales up. Of course, they're now having considerable um, difficulty getting the stock in play because clearly everybody wants to take advantage of that. But you know, if you can get a way to incentivize your customers, it's a great thing to do. And, and I know a law firm in London that's uh, knocking 10% uh, off their fees if there's an early payment. I think that's a very sensible thing to do. So just look at other ways of bringing cash into the business. Um, in, understand your business interruption insurance as well. I, don't, I think people are there's been a lot of bad press about insurance and, and uh, but there's been some good press as well about the effects of business interruption through a pandemic like this and so it's something that you often might need legal advice on actually it's not necessarily an accountant's bag of tricks to sit down and analyze what's covered and what isn't but i would suggest that you you know you look into that too 
say the lease back of assets can raise emergency cash. Uh, a lot of clients have, have huge amounts of uh, capital in their business and fixed assets on the balance sheet. And the stuff's in good condition, it's in good nick. So there's, there's no reason why somebody can't say to a finance company, look, buy it back from us and let us lease it. And that will give you an immediate capital sum. Um, and then you'll be able to repay the borrowing on that over a period of time. Um, the most important thing, though, I think, is looking at other ways of raising equity and raising finances. Um, if your business is a stable business, there's no reason why you can't speak to friends and family. Um, some people have rich relatives or very wealthy friends. And if you look at the returns that they're getting from banks and high street illness societies, it's not a huge rate of interest. And if you have enough confidence in your business being able to make it through, um, think about maybe just having conversations with them about some short-term financing loans. Brilliant, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Um, back to the world of, um, of law and Will Axtell. Thanks, Richard. Yes, um, as I mentioned in my intro, we're, we're quite a broad church at, at Pennington Manchester, so we have lots of different teams working on different sort of legal areas. Um, and they've all been pretty busy really over this sort of pandemic. Um, we've also obviously got sort of Brexit just around the corner as well, which is sort of <laughs> people are coming to terms with. Um, but my own area of practice is as a company corporate lawyer. So what I've been up to uh, from a sort of personal perspective is really helping clients access e equity funding, uh, including the use of the government's uh, future fund that, that Jonathan mentioned. So that the future fund is a matched funding scheme to support uh, innovative companies of which there are lots in the Thames Valley and, and Oxfordshire. So if a company raises, for example, you know, £500,000 from external investors, then the govern government will match that, meaning the company can raise a million pounds in total in, in that example. And that scheme has been extended to the end of January 2021. So we've, we've seen a lot of these sort of high growth tech companies, life sciences companies um, access that support, which, which is great. And we've been very busy generally on the sort of spin out work um, from, from the university as well as other uh, growth funding. So for example, um, we helped uh, Mind Foundry, which is a local artificial intelligence business on its series A funding round. It raised 10 million pounds. We recently acted on Oxford University's 200 spin-outs, a company called Fish AR, which is a cyber security company. And we're also seeing lots of COVID-related work in the Oxford ecosystem. So um, there's obviously been some exciting news about the Oxford vaccine today, and we were, were very pleased to act on the original spin-out of Vaxitech back in 2016. And I went to the Jenner Institute and, and met one of the founders, uh, Professor Sarah Gilbert, who's um, obviously leading the charge on that vaccine and has become pretty high profile. And she was very impressive then and, and obviously has done a great job um, with this Oxford vaccine. So that's very exciting. And we're seeing lots of um, you know quantum computing, med tech companies. So that, that's all, all great, good news. I also do M&A, so mergers and acquisitions, uh, buying and selling companies. And I think we did see a, a quieter patch over the summer. I think the, the economic uncertainty meant that people were sort of focusing on other, you know, immediate priorities. But it has come back um, in the autumn, um, partly driven, I think, by potential capital gains tax increases being flagged in the March budget. 
So we are seeing, I think, like many advisors, um, a, a rush in deals trying to get them across the line for that potential increase in, in March. And I think COVID is, is also creating some, some hot sectors. So obviously Zoom is, you know, everybody knows about Zoom or on Zoom now, um, you know, remote work applications, uh, healthcare, home delivery. So, so those are doing very well and, and achieving very sort of high valuations. So I think, you know, generally M&A now, we're seeing, we're seeing good deal flow and helping both buyers and sellers um, achieve a sort of smooth transaction process. The third sort of theme I wanted to touch upon was how we're seeing technology um, in the way we help clients now. So you know, we're, we're all pretty much still working remotely at the moment, especially in, the, in this lockdown. Um, and that's actually been relatively painless. Um, obviously there are problems which we could probably come on to, but you know, I think we're all finding new ways to support and help clients. Um, so for example, our family law team have created this um, online client tool where you know people who are thinking of a divorce can go on and, and fill out this questionnaire and that will produce sort of you know free initial sort of bespoke advice for them and if they wanted a subsequent sort of follow-up then you know the issues have been narrowed and it's a much more efficient and you know basically cheaper process we're seeing quite a lot of use of artificial intelligence in in some of the products we're using for due diligence in uh, dispute resolution cases. So again, take some of the donkey work out and, and leathering technology to help us. And I, I'm sure like Nicola and others, we, you know, we're seeing products like DocuSign being used for electronic signatures. You know, we're having problems with witnessing, et cetera, but um, we're, we're less reliant on the old fashioned sort of wet ink. So I think the pandemic has really accelerated some existing trends and increased use of technology that I think, you know, accountants, lawyers and other business advisors are, are leveraging to help their clients. And then lastly, I think um, I just wanted to mention, I think I think it's important that as we as, you know, professional community give back a bit and help support the local community. And I think obviously the arts is suffering at the moment quite badly. And we've, we've been a long time supporter of uh, Creation Theatre, which is an Oxford-based theatre company. And um, they moved very quickly in March uh, onto, onto Zoom to deliver a really sort of fun and um, exciting production of The Tempest. And that sort of went viral and people watching it around the world, it got reviews, you know, even in the, the New York Times. So I think it's very important for, well, the whole business community to, to continue to support the arts and, and other local charities as best we can in, in these sort of challenging times. So I think as a sort of last sort of takeaway, I think, yes, you know, do, do pick up your phone or go onto your advisor's websites. You know, there are issues that we've probably seen other clients go through. And I think we can point you in the right direction very quickly um, to, to help you. So that, that's me. Thanks very much, Will. You, um, you reference obviously getting experience from clients' experiences. Are you, um, like today, you know, you, you're on here with um, other professional services experts. Are you working more closely with other professional services firms? Are you noticing more collaboration now than before? Yes, I think so, because there's, there's so many sort of new issues. I mean, no one had really heard of furlough, to be honest, obviously before sort of March. So I think 
there's lots of pooling of knowledge and, and sort of best practice and that that's definitely a sort of a, a positive outcome I think of and also remote working I think talking to different people and you know you see a more personal side of things you know sort of cats in the background and children walking in so I think it has brought out a more sort of human side to to business. And you referenced Sarah Gilbert and the Jenner Institute earlier do you think the the good news as you referenced today's news about the vaccine will have a, a positive effect on business generally in, in Oxfordshire and a bit of a halo effect um, um, I think it highlights Oxford as you know as a, as a world leading um, scientific base basis, and I think you know, the you know, the throughput of spin outs from the university with this sort of life science technology basically benefits both you know humankind, but also can make money for investors and and the university. So it's a bit of a win win, I think. Excellent, brilliant. Well, um, over to David Willett. David, you've been waiting, waiting patiently. Um, and Grant Thornton, over to you. Thank you, Will. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, so, so the guys have gone through um, there's really, really good stuff. And I, I thought, you know, for my part, I'd take some reflections on the year and how it's passed as a whole and sort of the areas we, we've been helping our clients with and how we've seen sort of trends developing throughout the year. So, so sort of jumping back to, to March, April time, um, you know, when, the pandem when the pandemic first hit, you know, there was a lot of areas where our clients took a pretty introspective view, you know, really looking at kind of practically how do we cope with lockdown, what's happening to our supply chains, are we getting in the components we need to continue manufacturing? Um, and then as, as the extent of the, the issue developed and, and everyone was locked down across, across the country, you know, there was a real exercise in reforecasting, modelling, cash flows that, that Jonathan mentioned earlier, you know, making sure we've got the right sensitivity analysis, are the businesses it was really an existentialist question. Are we going to be able to continue to trade in a, in a remote working environment? Um, as well as our customers, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get our cash in, how's our bad debt and, and all, all the good things that Jonathan mentioned around cash flow. So, you know, there's that real effort to support that, that initial, what do we do now uh, question. Um, and then there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff, which again has been touched on earlier around that cash management aspect. So, the VAT deferrals, the introduction of the job retention scheme, you know, not just what you have to do legally to, to get it in, but then how do you calculate it, you know, when you've got salary sacrifice or various sort of benefit aspects and how the, the calculations come together. Um, then, then how does it interact with areas such as time to pay? You know, the more, more familiar to a lot of people ways to, to manage your, your debt with the revenue. Uh, and there's some real intricacies between uh, the job retention scheme and time to pay arrangements. Uh, what can we do to accelerate R&D tax relief claims? And that real focus on supporting the, the cash generation. Um, at the same time, there are a number of practical issues that our clients faced, uh, especially the international ones. So we've got internationally mobile employees. W what do you do with these individuals who could be based overseas and, and locked down when they're on a kind of a one, two, three, four week visit? You know, and, and do you trigger a permanent establishment and some sort of tax presence overseas because Someone's been locked down because of the job uh, because of the COVID pandemic. So, a lot of a lot of issues in in which really come to the fore in March and April. But but as has been touched on earlier, they're all very live issues now. You know, the job retention scheme will be audited. There's a real there's already been some prosecutions. So making sure that the claims have been have been put in and are accurate is a really important area. Uh, the deferred VAT will need to be paid back. 
Um, and you know, if you've still got people overseas because of the pandemic, your tax risk really does increase as, as that time passes on. So initially a really, really fraught time and everyone was kind of heads down trying to make sure that we can keep the businesses going, keeping our clients um, you know, surviving and scaling. Uh, from there, there was there was a period I'd say where by the summer, you know, the, the adaptation had come in. Um, people were familiar with remote working as much as as much as they could be. And so obviously, as was touched on, I think by Will, different sectors have ha had different ease and as uh, how quickly they could adapt. Um, from a finance perspective, you know, this rapid change brought the real need to review the finance infrastructure. So a lot of questions were being put out about areas such as is the data that we're collecting as a finance team going to be sufficient to um, to make the necessary decisions in in this adapting world um, can technology improve our business and our and our reporting resilience um, all the practical issues about returning to work you know what property footprint do we want what property footprint do we need how do we make it covid secure um, and and how can we manage our working capital to improve our liquidity and these are all the sort of big questions that we were working through with our clients and coming up with solutions to this to this changing world. Um, at the same time, as, as Will mentioned, kind of the back end of summer, the M&A market did pick up, completing deals virtually. And your, your point, Richard, about you know, the collaboration, you know, I think when, when you're looking at virtual completions, it really did get everyone together to, to make sure that we were on the same page and could, could complete transactions in this virtual environment. Um, and what businesses were looking for in terms of value in the market, a lot of, a lot of consistency, um, you know, scale, the potential for growth, uh, good relationships and, and how they fit, and the ability to generate cash, you know, all, all, all consistent pre and post pandemic. But clearly, if you have that resilience through the pandemic, continuing to grow in that, in that environment, then, then you know, and, you, and you've got you know, you're tech enabled and the ability to continue to trade in this remote working, then clearly the, the, there was a premium for those kind of businesses that were, that were being generated. And then as we get through the autumn to kind of where we are now and what's to come, I think, I think the point about um, taking a reflection now, when, now that things are a little bit more back to normal in, in, from, from a 2020 perspective of what constitutes normal, um, I think there's a real reflection on you know, how has the business changed and transformed in the year? And is the internal mechanisms and processes and controls still fit for purpose? So we work with a number of our clients to look at risk, risk registers. And you mentioned it earlier and from the context of, of pandemic, Richard, but, but actually looking at the, the, the wider risks that the business face and given the adaptive, uh, adapted operating model, um, you know, is the inter internal control environment completely uh, suitable for for how the business operates now you know do we do we have different operating models and is the transfer pricing policies that support them up to date um, is there scope for greater R&D tax relief claims because of the innovation that's been absolutely driven by by the need of the pandemic uh, and 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 we've got all that going on and and at the same time we do have uh, Brexit sneaking up as as Will mentioned you know we the withdrawal agreement ends in probably what six weeks from now um, and we're doing a lot of planning with our clients to really understand what this means for them and, and in particular when the supply chains and and the uh, kind of the VAT and the customs duties and all the additional cost and compliance that will be happening for a lot of our clients from the 1st of January.
Um, and the last point I, I guess I'd say is around M&A, uh, and, and it's been touched on absolutely earlier, but you know, the market is still holding up. And certainly my team in, in the tax team, we're probably involved in more transactions at the moment than, than we have been for years. Um, you know, the Office of Tax Simplifications recommendations to changes to capital gains tax, if they are, adapt, if they are absolutely adopted, then, then there's going to be a clear incentive for for entrepreneurs in, in looking at crystallizing value in the shorter term under the, the current legislation than, than the proposed um, the proposed changes that could be coming in next year. Uh, so we're doing a lot of work at exploring areas like employee ownership trusts, which are really tax efficient ways to, to sell businesses. So um, yeah, I think my, my summary, it's been a, um, it's been a, it's been a very challenging and transformational year. Um, it's, probably fair to assume that 2021 will continue to be challenging um, and will continue to need to adapt to change. And I guess it's, uh, it's our responsibility as advisors to, to stay close to our clients and help them navigate through, through these challenges. Brilliant, thank you very much, David. And I appreciate your, um, your contribution. And, and, and generally, are you preferring working from home? Are you missing connection with colleagues and, and clients? It's, it's a fascinating question. You know, if you'd have asked, you no, know, I did ask a lot of my clients sort of in, early on in, in, the, in the year, you know, do you see yourself going back to an office? And they were pretty, you know, pretty strong majority of saying, this is brilliant. I love working from home. You know, we're going to make loads of, you know, savings on property footprint and we get so much more done and we don't have to spend time commuting. You fast forward six months and everyone's pretty sick of the same four walls. And I think, I think you know, from, from my personal perspective, I mean, I've got, I've got, uh, I mean, I, we, I had a, my, um, my daughter in the pandemic. So we've got a very young um, child at home and the ability to get to the office from time to time would be uh, greatly appreciated. Um, and I think, and I think that's, I think there will, there will be a point where we strike a balance. You know, the footprint won't be the same as it was. But it won't be the same as it is, and I, and you know I, I I think a couple of days a week, three days a week, that that kind of balance between working from home to get stuff done, and the collaboration you get from being in an office, the ability to really learn from your peers, um, to listen, to being to, to be collaborating, to be engaged. That's it's um it's going to have to be a blend, in my opinion. So your daughter will see that comment. You realise in five ten years, <laughs> your, your your wife will bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. How's everybody else finding um, working from home and not having that regular engagement with, with clients, uh, with clients and colleagues? I mean, the water cooler moments probably gone, not forever, but uh, certainly for now. And are you finding it as easier to sort of get those sound bites from, from that colleagues or? I think between between these two lockdowns, we, we'd actually made a conscious decision that anyone above a sort of a manager level would be allowed to work from home for two days a week forever um, because we'd found that we hadn't lost uh, too much chargeable time. We, we felt we were very efficient. And so consequently, we knew how much people enjoyed it. But of course, if they didn't want to, they didn't have to. But then, of course, it was taken out of our hands again. But um, I think... We, we've allowed people to go in uh, if they have to do things in the office, um, but you know, we've had a lot of Teams groups and a lot of quizzes and 
little bits of you know, interaction in that way. And I think those have helped. You know, we've got a, a, a Whitley Weekly, which is distributed and it's got a focus on somebody's life. And given that we've got four offices and even though they're so close together, there's not massive amount of travel between people in various offices. So having little things like that have helped a lot. But I think deep down, everybody loves to go in and see what's going on. And you know, yeah, it's, just, it's just our nature. You play guitar, no doubt. Indeed, thank you. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? How, how we, we've probably got to know our colleagues a lot better being apart from them than we ever did um, with them. So, uh, and Nicola, how are you finding things? Yeah, fine. I mean, uh, we're a pretty small team and, and we talk a lot anyway. So uh, we, we've sort of kept up, but I do think that the, the little window in between the lockdowns where we were able to get in a little bit more just highlighted how much we'd missed that and kind of what we are missing out on. And so it kind of gave us a bit of a taste for it again and, and made us think, oh, actually, it is better when we can go in. So I think, I think, I think we will probably, uh, as David said, have a sort of blended approach going forward. So perhaps all spending a bit more time at home, but definitely making sure that we're, we're, we're in the office and crossing over because it does just germinate ideas and, 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 and help collaborate. And, and it's always useful. So, yeah, I, I, I'm missing it. Well. No, I'd agree with all that. I mean, I think one thing it's doing is is removing geography from the equation a bit. So, you know, we're working a lot more closely with our other UK offices like, you know, Cambridge or London, um, which is good. And that that's that's worked well. But yeah, they're, they're, they're pros and cons, aren't there? And I, I think we will not be going back to the old ways. It will be a mixture and what works best for employees and clients, really. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, appreciate you all joining us today. Perhaps in, in summary, I could just ask you all just the highlight one key takeaway for our viewers, um, starting with you, Nicola. Um, I suppose um, I'm going to draw on something that Will said. Um, Will, you were saying that this whole uh, experience has really um, made drawn out and highlighted the personal nature of a uh, personal side to business. We've all seen into each other's homes and we're all, you know, and I think that I, I suppose I just want to highlight that as professionals, we are also people and we also are service providers. And so we are here for our clients and, appro and are approachable and you know, happy to help. Um, and uh, I think that's important for people and our clients to know and to feel like they can contact us and that we're here to help. Thank you, Jonathan. I think my message is uh, cash flow forecast, forecast, forecast. Um, you know, we have some quite small clients with turnovers of a couple of million pounds that are looking at them every week. Um, and they're modeling what would happen if they closed a division here or an office there or whatever. And I think to con continually challenge those questions in your head, keeps your mind very focused about the cash requirements going forward. And, and you know, as I said at the very beginning, cash is king um, and without it, business can't survive. Develop a treasury plan. Exactly. Will? Oh, there's the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'd echo Nicola's comment really that I think, you know, don't don't be afraid of your advisors, um, you know, do do pick up the phone, do get in touch, um, because a lot of the others have been there, done it, seen other clients in a similar situation, and we'll be able to get you safely to a solution pretty quickly without you having to sort of reinvent the wheel. So, you know, we, we are all here to help. Sounds like a marketing camp, new marketing campaign for professional advisors. Don't be afraid of your advisors. <laughs> And David? Yeah, I mean, just to um, disappoint, I, I just have to echo the same point. You know, if, if in essence we are, we are here 
as advisors to help and advise and that, that's kind of our raison d'etre so you know we we would we just want to make sure that you know our clients get the right support they need at the right time so yeah the same point excellent well thank you everybody really appreciate you joining us and, and good to see you all sort of standing side by side um i know you're um potentially fishing in the same pond but it's great how b4 members are, are now collaborating um on articles and webinars podcasts etc and uh, great to get the benefit of your wisdom and hopefully uh, the viewers and listeners will have got the message that you are there for them um, and if they need you they can contact you via the website that we'll publish at the end of the video and the podcast so thank you very much <laughs>